Hello and welcome to episode 138 of Ferg on the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter, at AndrewRLP. Joining me as always is the fantastic League Freak. You can find on Twitter, at League Freak. How you going there, mate? I'm glorious. How are you? Well, I figured I'd change it up because you've been glorious every week. I thought I a bit of fantastic. I thought, I thought I'd change it up too to just change it up for what you left out. <laughs> dickhead, that's all. Just to change it back to what it should be. <laughs> I, I did want to be cliche, you know. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we should do. We should try and mix it up for every intro we do, just for shits and giggles. I think that sounds like a great idea. Yeah, yeah. Now that we've had 138 attempts at this, we should we'll start getting it right now. Yeah, well, you would think that, but then when I did that episode with Katie and almost said oh, I'm Andrew Ferguson, I knew it's not as easy as it looks. Oh, this hosting thing's hard work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, boy, we've got a fair bit of news this week. Mm, yeah, a fair bit's happened. Uh, it's been a while since we did a podcast. The season's coming up, so we'll obviously start smashing them out again. But, um, yeah, there's a few little things to talk about, a few interesting little notes that have come up during the week. Yeah, let's, let's start with a big one. We're talking about big numbers here. So um, the NRL has announced it's had a $30 million surplus. Mm. Which is funny because you're always hearing about how the game loses money and then that comes up with this massive surplus. I heard during the week they said that they were going to put $10 million into Junior Rugby League, which is great. Um, yep. I don't know what they're doing with the rest of it, but, you know, even if they put it in the bank, I guess that's something. Yeah, or as we discussed in our um, off-air episode, Peter Vlandis could go to Star City and put it all on 27. Yeah. I, look, I think that – imagine if he said, okay, I'm not going to make a decision on expansion. Instead, I'm going to take this money, I'm going to put it on 27, and if it lands on 27, I'm going to expand the competition by two clubs, and they're going to be funded by the winnings. Wouldn't that be really – like, that could be a TV event. That could be. Imagine that. would just be five minutes. Live stream that, Graham. Yeah. <laughs> yeah bring out your fucking laser pointer. <laughs> Your watch. <laughs> Don't forget to show us your watch. Tell you what, if this thing comes up trumps and it lands on 27, yeah. how many Rolexes do you reckon you'll get? That's a good question. Um, well, he's, he's not going to be like that dude that's on the ARL commission that has no, to no, win. No, 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 no. Because he's, he's on the level. That, that man is the boss. Yeah. Um, we'll get he's his name. I, I can't remember. But he's... We will get his name, but he is the boss. Yeah. I mean, he's getting around with two two watches on one wrist. He's just going, I don't have enough time to read a watch. That's why I've got a second watch. Yeah. He's like, just... in the time that it takes me to lift the right arm up, whichever arm that might be, I'm losing money. So I just put a watch on either wrist and just go with it. Go with whatever my eye is closest to. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Or sometimes I might just walk along and just show, just shove my wrist in someone's face and say, read that to me, I'm busy. <laughs> People just do it. It's like that thing, I think I've said this before on the podcast, where if Bill Gates dropped a $100 note, it's not worth his time to pick it up because he would lose money to stop and turn around and pick it up. Exactly That's right. Yeah, so. so if Annesley gets another Rolex, then this guy's got to get at least two more. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I'd like, you know, you know, you see a lot of players go around, they've got a sleeve of tattoos. I'd like to see that bloke with just a sleeve of Rolexes. 
<laughs> I wonder how many. I wonder how many. Why hasn't that become a thing? Just having like three or four watches. I, I've I've got two two or three watches here. I'm you know I'm just going to start wearing them all. Okay. At once. I I had a really nice watch. I lost it. I've got no idea where it went. So um, the only thing I've got now is my Fitbit, which is <laughs> looks it looks. It doesn't look like anything other than a functional Fitbit, unfortunately. It doesn't look cool. But, uh, but yeah, at least I know my heart rate. Well, that's important. Yeah. Um, we'll stick with big money here. Um, James Tedesco is set to be offered a, according to the Fox Sports News, which is the bastion of all good news at the moment. Yeah. Um, set to be offered a $6 million deal over five years to stay at the Roosters, uh, according to staff writers. And apparently, Mr. Writers says that this would make it the richest deal in NRL history, ignoring the fact that Jason Tormalolo got $10 million over 10 years, mm-hmm. and I'm almost certain that other players have been offered and received more than what Tedesco would be getting in this deal. But, you yeah. know, put facts aside. Yeah, because, like, facts and Fox Sports, come on now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, it, it just complicates things. The only time I ever see really good facts on Fox Sports is when someone's ripped off your fucking stats, hey? When the stat points. <laughs> We're not saying anything about you, George, but you know. <laughs> um, do you reckon $6 million over five years is enough to keep Tedesco? Hmm. I, I think if he's really happy with where he's at, I think it probably is. If you were running Penrith mm-hmm. and you wanted Tedesco mm-hmm. and you know that that's the deal out there, would you go, we need to offer more than that to get him? Would you go, we're not going to try and beat that? Well, if I mean, if I was running Penrith, I'd offer him 1.5, right, over seven years, knowing that after two years, <laughs> I'd be paying 6% of that for him to play for Canterbury. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a make it too mean a year, mate. Fuck it. Yeah, why not? Um, look, it's a good point. I wonder who else would pony up the money, though. Like, normally you would think that maybe South Sydney would look at him, but they've got Mitchell. Unless the Mitchell experiment at fullback doesn't really work. Because uh, Tedesco is off contract. Well, he's, he's able to talk to clubs in November, this coming November. Uh, and he's off, off contract at the end of next season, I believe. Um, so it's a tough one. It's a tough one. Yeah. I think there's going to be two clubs over the next two years who will have freed up enough money to challenge that. It's going to be the Tigers and they won't get him Mm -hmm. and the Bulldogs and they'll be linked to him because that's what Hooper does. Yeah. I mean, they're going to have, um, four and off, off their books by then. Hmm. So they will have a big whack of money. And the Tigers will have all of Ivan Cleary's love children off their books by then too. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But then I hear that uh, they'll probably need a hooker and they're probably aiming for one two or three years down the track from that point. <laughs> nah, get to this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry uh, about it. You know, I... Th- I just have this feeling that they're going to hold on to him, the Roosters. If yeah. I was Tedesco, 
right? Because he's won a premiership now. He's won two premierships. He's the Australian test fullback. I think it would be mad not to test his value on the open market. And I think that he would be well within his rights to, you know, pick and choose where he wants to go. He For his legacy, he wouldn't really need to do anything more. Like, say he went back to the Tigers. Let's just say he did. I don't think it would hurt his legacy as a great player overall. You know where he... Yeah, you know where it'd be crazy if he went. Where's that? The Melbourne Storm. Melbourne Storm. You know what else would be crazy? What? Cronulla. Yeah, they'll you have... think they'll have Morris, Moylan, yeah. Dugan all gone. Yeah. They'd Sean... have the cash. Sean Johnson would have to be pretty close to being out yeah. out the door as well by then. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. They would definitely have the coin available. Well, say you're Tedesco, right? And you can, and look, he's a million dollar play right now, right at this very minute. So 1.2, it's all right, but it's not, it's probably not the level he would want. So what do you take from the Roosters to stay? Because keeping in mind there, we could be at a point where he's, he's able to negotiate with clubs and the NRL is going to be doing this next TV deal. So the salary cap is probably going to go up a bit, not as much as it has in the past, but it should go up a little bit. Does he just stay at the Roosters for another season or so and then look to maybe capitalise on a a big boost in the salary cap, something like that? That's a good question. There's another story which coming out which may impact on it as well, and that is Caelan Pong has been offered a $4.5 million deal over four years by the Knights. Mm-hmm. Who would you rather spend your money on if you've got a shit ton of cash, Tedesco or Ponga? Man, that's a really tough question. I think it would depend on the situation you're in as a club. So say, and we do we do this a lot. We talk about the West Tigers a lot, right? And I mm-hmm. think it's more because they're such an interesting situation more than anything else. Interesting or shit? Shit. If I'm the West Tigers and I've got Brooks there, and Brooks is still pretty young, I kind of like the idea of when Benji Marshall goes into the sunset, if you could replace him with Kalen Ponga, I really like that as a, a young halves pairing. Um, obviously, Ponga's a fair bit younger than Brooks, but I think that that would be a really good base to build a club around i know that i'm higher on ponga than you are um i I think that uh i feel as though you're you think he's an all right player but he's probably overhyped um at this stage what we've seen from him is um he kind of spams the same sort of play a lot and look it's been effective mm -hmm. but eventually a lot of defenses are going to shut it down um not saying he doesn't have any other plays, but he's just he does work one play an awful lot, and that's you know drifting on the left side mm-hmm. and waiting for the defence to stop sliding because they're running out of room. Yeah, um, and you'll either pass to create an opportunity for someone else, or he'll take the take it on himself. Mm. A good player is able to exploit that, and he does that. So I'm not saying he's crap or anything like that, but I think for overall class, um, I'd say Tedesco is well ahead of Ponga. Oh yeah, and Tedesco is the he's the finished product. He's like 
you put him into any side this this week and he is going to do things that are absolutely spectacular. Whereas Kalen Ponga is still at a point in his career where um, what he is able to do on the field is a little bit hamstrung by the situation he finds himself in still. Yeah. Um, so I, I think... I think if Pong is smart, he takes whatever deal is thrown in by Newcastle and waits like another two years mm-hmm. to become a much better product and then goes out there and says, you know what, I'm going out and I'm looking for the biggest deal I can find because I think by then he would get massive money. Um, so I'd, I'd be more inclined to go with Tedesco in pretty much any situation. Just because the kick return, as we see with the Warriors... If you take mm-hmm. two of us to check out of that side, they don't win many games at all. And I think the, the yeah. service you get from fullback is so immense these days. Mm-hmm. And you see that between teams who have got really good fullbacks and the ones who don't. Yeah. Um, Parramatta being an exception, but they use two very, very good wingers to make up for the fullback issue. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. See, if I was say say you want to go down that road if you're Kalen Ponga, right? Mm-hmm. There, and I know I say this a lot, but if I'm Kalen Ponga and I think the next two years I just want to be turned into a an out and out unquestionable top of the line superstar, I try and get to the Melbourne Storm any way I can. Yeah. I think one or two years there under Bellamy would be phenomenal for him. Yeah, because he comes off contract then. The Storm are going to want to keep him. Um, and and every other club is going to want him. I mean, you get Melbourne Storm plays because they do improve. That's but, true. And look, Melbourne does have one advantage, mm. which a lot of places don't, and they've got a lot of gelato down here and a lot of ice cream. <laughs> Did you see my tweet during the week about Melbourne? No, tell me. I said it was something along the lines of any time you hear the phrase Melbourne is famous for, <laughs> it's always said by somebody that's from Melbourne and they're always saying that about some shit no one else has heard about or cares about. Agreed. It's like Melbourne's famous for its coffee. No, Italy's famous for its coffee. Melbourne just serves coffee, okay? Stop talking about Melbourne's coffee. Oh, Melbourne's well known for its food. Yeah. Like every other place on the fucking planet. That has food. Yeah, yeah. When it comes to coffee, one thing I've learned listening to other co-workers in various jobs I've had down here mm-hmm. is that Melbourne is well known for its overpriced, low-quality coffee. Yeah. That'll get some rank, some people upset. Um, Stuff. Stuff. You know what? I watch The Chaser, okay? I really enjoy The Chaser. And there will be there will be questions on the chaser about Melbourne. Uh, like, apparently they've got the biggest Ferris wheel in the Southern Hemisphere. And who who gives a fuck? Like, no one cares. Who goes there? And, like, for some reason, people in Melbourne think having a casino is a big deal. Like, we've got fucking three of them in Sydney. Settle down. That, um, that Ferris wheel, it's fantastic when it's working. Really? Yeah, it's it's broken down three or four times in the years that they've had it here. Someone figures to just tighten up a nut, another time like a, a small crack appeared in a piece of steel somewhere, and they've got to shut the thing down for three years to fix it. How about that? That there's two other places that always come up. 
the famous Yarra River. I'm sorry, it's barely a canal, okay? <laughs> and then the other place, there's a fucking train station down there that they think is just the most famous fucking train station in the world. And they'll show it on the news and it's like, all right, you know, who gives a shit? you got a train station. Yeah, it's a fucking train station. Whoopee. Yeah, big fucking whoop. Yeah, if anyone's seen the Yarra, um, it's brown. You know it's, what? It's, it's it's not that fantastic. It's it's brown. It's not like the blue water around Sydney Harbour. No. You know, if Ropes Crossing had a casino next to it, that's basically the Yarra. <laughs> uh, that's that is so accurate. I can't I can't add any more to that. That's fantastic. Thank you. Um, hey, by that, the way, on yeah. Kalen Bonga, right? Yeah. Um, when all the speculation come out about his future, because the Knights have said, look, we're willing to put in a a get-out clause if he wants to go and play rugby union, right? Which I thought was piss weak. I think mm-hmm. if you want to get Kalen Ponga, you want him at your club, you go to Kalen Ponga, you say, we're going to give you $8.5 million bucks over seven years, turn down $8.5 million bucks, right? We're not yeah. letting you go to rugby union or any of that shit. And make him turn down all that money. That's the first thing. Second thing is, there was speculation that the Broncos are going to go after him. And fucking super coach up there at Brisbane come out all pissy, saying they're not going after Kalen Ponga. And I'm thinking to myself, like, don't you come out if you're the Broncos coach and do the complete opposite and say, yeah, we want all of the best players in the world at our club. And we will strive to get Kalen Ponga if he wants to be Brisbane Bronco. Instead of being a fucking pissy whinger, like Seabol just can't help himself being. He loves a whinge. He really does. You know what? You know, I was thinking about this the other day. Mm. There's one, one show on TV that he would be perfect on. And that's Married at First Sight. He could go in there, paired up with with just any woman, it doesn't matter, and he could just sit there and whinge the whole time. And people tune in going, oh, poor Anthony. And other people will go, man, Anthony's such a bitch, shut up. That's what <laughs> they want. Every time he's up there, he's he's doing stay, the other people are doing leave. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're writing it in bold with texter and big exclamation yeah. marks afterwards. Get me out of this shit. Other couples are fucking turning over their cards and it says leave and they go, oh, sorry, I thought this was what we wanted that idiot in the corner to do. Get out, please. Now, staff writers Mm -hmm. has been busy and um, Fox Sports, my staff writers, is advertising Mercedes vehicles once again. Have you seen this? No, I haven't. Oh, right. actually, I did. Yes. Yeah. Last last year, as we found um, with Latrell Mitchell, they're advertising all these expensive Mercedes cars that mm. Latrell Mitchell was never seen in. Yeah, now, one point, I swear to God, they said that he was riding in an F1 car. Turned out it might not have been that case. Yeah. Well, apparently, Trent Robinson was in a $150,000 Mercedes vehicle that got pinched the other day. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that came to my mind was either James Hooper stole it or yeah. Latrell Mitchell did. It was a weird article because my first thought was, why is this news? Well, 
I've been asking that question an awful lot about a lot of Fox Sports news stories of late. Yeah. Um, this story, though, it says here, and they got a quote. Mm-hmm. About 8 a.m. Tuesday, February 25th, the homeowner found the home on Varner Street, Waverley, so now we know where he lives, had been broken into with the family, oh, while the family were asleep upstairs, the police statement said. Mm-hmm. A handbag and car keys were missing, along with the family's Mercedes that was parked in the driveway. I didn't picture Trent as a handbag person, mostly because I've never seen him carrying one. No, I can't even imagine him having a satchel. No, or a bum bag. No, definitely not a bum bag, man. What type of... I feel like... I don't feel like he'd be a briefcase sort of dude either. No, no, he's just a wallet, and he probably... I reckon he'd have a Blackberry, though. (laughs) <laughs> he does. Why does that make sense? Oh, that's weird. <laughs> you have a BlackBerry and all the documents on there that are not compatible with any other computer or mobile phone in the rest of the world. Yeah, he's like, I'll send you, I'll send you this file, and he sends it. It's like, what it's the just... fuck sort of file is this? A, a BPL file? It's like, oh yeah, it's a BlackBerry something, you know. You got to fucking buy a phone just to read it. <laughs> yeah, a BlackBerry. It's it's a horrible con. Um, now the funny thing is mm. about this story yeah. is they've shown a picture of a random Mercedes vehicle, obviously a you know taken from an advert. Yeah. Of you know to give you an idea of what Trent's vehicle looks like, and yeah. they've blurred out the the letters on the number plate. Yeah. Because you know they want to make sure that they don't reveal anyone's hidden identity. Yeah, that's true. And then the very last part, and I mean the very last part of this whole story is registration plate, and they tell you what the registration details is on his, is on his number plate. Oh, Can you imagine that, right? Just say, just say, and that's horrible, right? Someone breaks into your house while you're there and steals your favourite handbag in your car, right, while you're there. And then you've got to ring up the police. You've lost your car, you know. Probably ring up Nick, say, I need a new car, bruh. And then it's in the paper, like, you just know it's going to be news because these fucking places can't help themselves. It's got to be really annoying for players, hey? Oh, it and has. Yeah. Um, so that's just garbage reporting. And speaking of garbage reporting, yes. um, did you know that Josh Reynolds' um, ex has moved on and she's with boxer Istvan Zilli? He's a very zilly boy for getting hooked up with her and not reading Fox Sports News articles beforehand. Yeah, yeah. How was that for classy? Actually, during the week, uh, the cha- the domestic violence charges against Reynolds were dropped, which was, yeah. uh, I mean, uh, we we talked a little bit about it. I feel very sorry for what he's been through. Mm-hmm. And I really hope that he's surrounded by really good people and has a really good support network. And I, I guess what it is, is it's a, it's a cautionary tale for... Especially in, in when you think about rugby league, there's a lot of young men that are uh, how would you how would you describe it? There's a lot of eligible bachelors in rugby league that are getting a lot of money very early on in their lives, and I'm not saying that this was motivated by money necessarily, but it's just it they can be put in vulnerable positions, and I think that that's maybe one area of the game 
that needs to be looked at in terms of mentoring younger players because there's been a lot of talk about um, how players should behave in public and, and with other people and stuff. And I don't know that there's been as much work on just making sure they make the right decisions in in areas of their lives where men have to make good decisions for themselves, you know? And I think that this Josh Reynolds thing, it's be, it hopefully players really take it on board and try and learn from his situation because it's just a horrible situation, really horrible. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to see anyone go through that, you know, male or female. It's just you know, nah. being being conned by someone and, and you know, the emotion involved in all of that, especially with Josh, who, you know, the sad part about that is we had the story last year, you know, he's obviously really keen to become a dad and she sort of mm-hmm. used that against him a bit from what we gather from the stories and stuff. So that's that's just fucking sick is what that is. And, you know, I've, I, I don't normally talk about players off-field stuff unless they've done something terrible because I, I, to be honest with you I'm not interested in it that much but I've had numerous people tell me about Josh Reynolds going out of his way to be just a really nice guy to people in tough times and things like that and so when when this stuff come out it 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 seemed really strange that it was happening around him. And then when you found out what was really going on, I just feel really sorry for him. And I do, I hope he's got the right people around him because he does really genuinely seem like a really, from everything I've heard, one of the really nicest guys you'll ever meet. Absolutely. I did have a joke. I'm, I'm, I'm too afraid to say it though. Oh, um, <laughs> that's I'll see that one afterwards. Only what I do. Yeah, I was just thinking of it. No, it's just going to go too far. Um, what was the next story? Oh, man, man. Speaking of joke, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, on Fox Sports, they 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 did a bit of a match review of the trial trial match between Parramatta and Penrith, mm-hmm. and no one. Not even staff writers has been game to put their name to this one. Which head- is really weird. Mm. And the headline reads, Shades of Joey, Moses channels immortal as eels really late in bigger trial draw. <laughs> well, you Mitchell know- Moses has stamped his name as one of the best halfbacks in the game because he did what his coach told him to do. Oh... <laughs> I wish that. Oh, I just want to say one thing. Okay, I yeah. did watch a bit of this game, and mm-hmm. he did play well. Mm-hmm. He did not play as well as Andrew Johns at his best, and does not deserve to have that comparison put on him. Mm-hmm. They are two completely different players, and Mitchell Moses is nowhere near Andrew Johns's league, not even close. No. And I hate this comparing one player with an absolute icon of the game or an absolute immortal of the game because they think that's the right thing to do. It's not. No. It's not fair and it's not right on either player. Yeah, and like we were we were a little bit spoiled in the fact that probably the best halfback of all time has been active in the last 20 years. 
mm. and he set a standard for being such an all-round great halfback that it's been a little bit unfair on all of the halfbacks that have followed him. And I think as somebody like a, a Dally Cherry, Cherry Evans, who is a great halfback in any era of the game, but if you line him up against Andrew Johns, it's once again an unfair comparison. Um, and to, to line up Mitchell Moses, especially out of a trial game, is just silly. He's he's a completely different style of halfback. Like I wouldn't say he's he's more of a uh, he, he's more of a taken on the line sort of halfback. He's not really an organizer. You know what I mean? He's more of a ball yeah. one almost. That's and right. He's- he plays more like a, a traditional five eighth than a than a halfback does. Yeah, yeah, and so, and I think it just does him a disservice. Um, I wish that there was a name to this article because I would love to ask the writer uh, what their favourite skin is that they use in Fortnite. <laughs> Not sure where that's going, but uh, I'll go with it. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! Um, look. I think if you wanted to compare Mitchell Moses to a past player, I'd probably compare him to, say, Matthew Johns. Um, The other uh, thing I'd probably say about this article is um, to the editor. Yeah. Don't be afraid to use the space bar between words. I find that the space bar helps when I write things. I just yeah. wish I had a spell checker. Well, it's it's kind of there. Yeah. That's not it's, a good one, eh? That's, that's just... Oh, man. I can't believe that. It's fucking pre-season. It's pre-season. I'm, I'm surprised that this article wasn't saying that he's going to be playing State of Origin. Let's see if that's mentioned in here anyway. I bet it is. Classy touches. No, no Origin mention. There you go. That's close. Um, I can tell you what, I've got an article that I wanted to bring up here. It's on the NRL website, and it's about um, there's been talk this week that the NRL is almost certain to expand into Brisbane, that um, they've basically got everyone's blessings for it that they needed to get. Including including Murdoch, I believe. Yeah, and look, I, I read that article. Because I was thinking, you know, that seems a bit over the top. And what it actually was, was the head of Fox Sports was saying that they would like to see an expansion club in Brisbane. So it was like, it was such a roundabout way to say it, you know. Yeah. Um, they said, they've said that they've had five organisations that are keen to to put forward a bid. There's one from the Redcliffe Dolphins and... I would suggest they're probably the front runner just for the fact that they've had an eye on being Brisbane's second team for a long, long time, even back to when the Gold Coast Titans were first coming in. And if you remember, the Gold Coast Titans called themselves the Gold Coast Dolphins. They did indeed. Redcliffe took them to court and said, we expect to be in the NRL one day and you can't use our name. And so the Titans had to change to the Titans' name. Um, I the think thing about Redcliffe too, sorry is um, they'd be able to just take on that whole Sunshine Coast region. They've got a new stadium there. Yeah. And they can yeah. take that Sunshine Coast region and go straight up to bloody um, Bundaberg. They've got that whole market covered. Yeah, and, and I think that to have a club that's already got a base, like you're not starting from scratch, 
I tend to think that that's the way to go. I also think it's a great name. I, I think that having, and I did when the Gold Coast were going to call themselves the Dolphins, I think it would be a great name to add to, to Rugby League's um, national club competition. And I, I, they just tick so many boxes. There's going to be other bids that come out. They're all going to make a lot of different claims. I do wonder if the NRL wants a club playing out of Suncorp Stadium, but I do feel as though that it, it, no matter where these teams claim their base to be, they could probably play a bunch of games out of Suncorp and it, it work and it'd be fine. Mm. Uh, I tend to think that Brisbane having an alternative club other than the Broncos will work okay, but it does have to be a club that it, it can't be the ugly stepsister club. You know, it has to be a club that is people are excited about. And I think that they will be excited about the Redcliffe Dolphins. Yeah, I think they've got to be a team that, that isn't designed to specifically service Brisbane as well, which is why I think if you've got them to cover Sunshine Coast and North of there, mm-hmm. you're getting a whole heap of fans who are sort of between the Cowboys and the Broncos. There's a huge area in the middle there, which isn't really covered by either. Yeah. And they can just nail a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's... I mean, I wonder if there's a way that... And I don't know how it works up in Brisbane with their the way that they have their junior catchment areas and things like that. I feel like it's a fair bit different than what we're used to in Sydney. Um, I think it's a little bit more of a free-for-all in terms of where you get your local players from and where, where you generally draft your your elite young talent from. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting race. It looks like they'll bring in a Brisbane team and then maybe look to bring in a Perth team. It seems as though Perth is on the back burner for now, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. Um, it's absurd. Yeah, Perth's ready. Perth's been ready for a long time just as Brisbane has for a second team. They're ready. The market's ready. And furthermore, it's a completely different time zone, so it's just perfect for TV as well. There's nothing horrible about the idea of having a Perth team. Support support it for fuck's sake and bring it in. Yeah, look, the only thing that I've ever heard that is a legitimate claim is that it is a very long regular season game for the Warriors from Perth to Auckland and vice versa. Which is it's reasonable. That's that's reasonable. But play I think them the week it, before they have the bye. We'll play it. Let's kick off the season with it. Yeah, get it out of the way yeah. early, or play it the week before both teams can have a bye. Yeah, I, it, it, it's really easy to get around. Like that's yeah. and that's the worst thing I've seen. Their stadium is pretty damn good that they would play out of. Mm-hmm. Uh, got local local juniors. The time zone stuff is absolutely perfect and something that rugby league kind of needs to be able to put on a game that's locally on at what three o'clock or whatever but is on a sunday night prime time in into the eastern coast states of australia um hopefully they they sort the brisbane one out and then they look straight to perth even if it's a couple of years later otherwise you might have to get north sydney back in again (laughs) maybe (laughs) <laughs> I, I just can't believe I, it. It doesn't matter. I I would not be surprised at anything that is said about North Sydney at this point. Like if somebody said we're going to bring back, we're, we're going to bring a team back in a, in Illawarra, 
and somebody said, yeah, we're going to bring in North Sydney for Illawarra, I wouldn't be shocked by that at this point. The North Sydney Wollongong Bears. Yeah. Um, Did you see how there was a pool that was paid for in North Sydney and they called it regional? <laughs> no, I didn't see that one. That's good. You know, in, good. You know all this, and I don't know much about it, but apparently the politicians are trying to, you know, get buy some votes by... Oh, the sports rules. Yeah, yeah. So there was a pool that was built in North Sydney and it it come under a framework of being a regional pool. And, you know, whoever managed to work that out, whatever bureaucrat it was, can we just vote for them? As yeah, the kudos. Pop- yeah, I'm not even angry. That That's phenomenal. That's brilliant. <laughs> now, I've, I've got some other news, which is obviously getting back to rugby league, but it's um quite impressive. Mm-hmm. There's news today from the Sharks trial game against Manly. Mm-hmm. Is that Matt Moylan got injured while riding the pine at Cogra Oval? What? Yeah. I don't know. They said Moylan was watching the game, and it, there's talk that he's got a brand new calf injury. Wow. On top of the calf injury he's probably already got. So good news for the Sharks. I mean, they don't have to see Matt Moylan screwing up their attack for another few extra weeks. So that's good stuff. Can you ever think of a rugby league player, right, who their body, because Matt Moylan, I mean, Matt Moylan's young Matt Moylan, he always will be, but their body just fell apart on them. Yeah, I can't I can't think of any. Like Matt Moylan's is uh, all of a sudden it's pretty bad. It's Kieran Foran type. Yeah. But Foran puts his body on the line. And he plays football. Yeah. And he that, plays damn good when he comes out and plays on the field as well. And the other thing is too it's with Foran and that some of the other players I can think of it's more a case of They've been very unlucky to have one catastrophic injury after another, after another, you know? Yeah. Whereas with Moylan, it's just, it's one thing. Walking, one walking to his seat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really weird. I just found that story rather amazing. Yeah. Um, so there's been all these big stories. Danny Weidler has a story as well. Oh, really? What's he talking about? Um. Apparently, Cooper Cronk and Brett Finch are on the outer at Fox Sports as they're trying to slash costs. Yeah, look, I, I don't know why you'd get rid of Cooper Cronk unless they've... Look, they might have found that with uh, test audiences or something, it just didn't work. Um, and I, I get that. There's something about Cooper Cronk that rubs people wrong sometimes. I don't have... Yeah, I, I think what we've got, and this is just an assumption. Yeah. Okay. Is that you have the people that people want to see on TV, your mm-hmm. Cooper Cronks and the like, and then you've got this click group of Matty John's mates, and they just dominate everybody else and do whatever the hell they want and get what they get their way, and Brett Finch is in that group. And I think that's why I think you're going to see Finch will win out over Croc if this is if this story's got any merit to it. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. I also wonder if they don't put stories out like this to gauge public interest. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, Brett Finch has had some 
off-field issues that he's been struggling with. And hopefully, I mean, that should be his priority, and I'm sure it is. Yeah. But, um, you know, Kronk seemed to be being lined up to be their golden boy going forward. So I'd be shocked if he was gone. But, you know, there's a lot of this... Uh, there's been a lot of talk about how much money's been spent by these pay TV stations just on their general production. And Fox Sports, I mean, their, their adverts are pretty proud about it in terms of, you know, they do the big sweeping shot of the 157 different people that they've got involved in their rugby league coverage. Um, some of them, I think, are fantastic. Yvonne Sampson, and I know her last name's not Sampson anymore. I forget her, her new name. Okay. Okay, there you go. Yeah. Um, sorry about that, Yvonne. She is, I think, the best television presenter in all of Australia, like in anything. I don't care what it is. I think she's fantastic. And then when you look at some of the experts they have, I mean, Cooper Cronk is a really, really good rugby league expert. He he breaks things down really well. And I think with some of the Fox Sports commentators, I mean, someone like a Blocker Roach, Blocker Roach is what Blocker Roach is. He's never pre- going to pretend that he's going to break down a play or anything like that. He's going to say some funny, weird stuff, and I'm happy with having someone like that. But I think what Fox Sports is going to find is that they're going to really work out who's vital to keep around and who isn't, you know, And because they're all having to cut costs right now because people are cutting the cords. People are getting rid of the whole Foxtel package. And a lot of people are going to KO. Um, I know it's something that I plan to do this year. And with the big TV deals coming up, and like you're going to see a lot of uh, of broadcasters talking down the TV rights for every sport. The fact of the matter is there's only two things that rate on TV these days. One of them is live news when an event happens, and one of them is live sport. And rugby league is the highest rating live sport in Australia. So all of these places have to pay through the nose to get rugby league. Otherwise, they're nowhere, you know? Yeah, exactly. So if if it means cutting costs and getting rid of some people, it's understandable. Yeah. I, if they want to cut costs, then they can probably get rid of, say, Paul Kent, Paul Crawley, Phil Rothfield, and people of that ilk. Well, those people have got jobs already to just shit on the game. Just let them do that elsewhere. And just, I, I think Fox Sports needs to focus on the sport yeah. for a change. Yeah. It'd be a nice change from the shit we've dealt with in the off-season with the crap they've put on there yeah. um, that is clutching at straws of sports news. Um, I think a smart idea for them would be to say, you know what, let's do away with the comedy and just get down to talking analysis. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about the game and break it down and actually show you how much we love this game and how important it is to us instead of having people on there mocking it and, you know, being that sort of crappy stuff. We've got enough in the mainstream media doing that already. We we can't have the main broadcaster doing it as well. It's bad enough nine allows old dinosaurs on there to bitch and moan about every little thing all the time, like feel good. That, mm. that shit's just got to end. And Fox Sports are in a good position where they can say, you know what, we're going to lead the charge on this and be more positive about the game. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see, because of that, who they do keep and who they let go. Because, you know, there's some... I mean, I think Billy Slater 
as a and I don't I don't know what else you call it, but as a color commentator, as a as an analyst, so in the second or third chair, I think he is absolutely brilliant. I think he's the best in the game. He really breaks things down. He talks about where plays should be, plays that are out of position, uh, all sorts of things that I always think that when you're watching a game, a commentator's job should be to to tell you something that you don't inherently know. And that is, that's what Phil Gould used to be really, really good at. He used to be brilliant at it. Yeah. Peter Sterling as well. Peter Sterling, yeah, yeah. And look, I can understand you do it for 30 years. At some point, you just, you know, putting the runs on the board. So I, I, I would never hold anything against Peter Sterling. Uh, but I do with Phil Gould because Phil Gould is better at commentating than he allows himself to be as a commentator these days. And yeah. it, you know what? There was some games last year where it was him with Billy Slater. And because Billy Slater was so damn good, Phil was lifting his game. And it was brilliant commentary. It was amazing. And I would love to see that for all games. It would be incredible. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, now, something that's not incredible. Yes. It's looking like the ARL Commission is set to green light the captain's challenge. I, the only thing I can think is that it's a roundabout way to get more adverts in. It's... It's so absurd. Mm. Everything about it, I just absolutely hate. Um, under the new rule, teams have 10 seconds via their on-field captain to call for review on plays like an error, one-on-one strip, offsides, or obstruction. There's a suggested a green and red paddle may be used on the sideline in a bit to send an instant message from the coaches. Are they going to smack someone with the paddle? Uh... Now... You know, you know it's a bad idea, mm. and you know your coach is limited mm. when he comes out and says we're going to exploit this rule, and that's exactly what Paul McGregor has done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, George Little coach Paul McGregor has revealed a plan to use coloured paddles as a possible avenue to challenge ref decisions this NRL season. <laughs> oh, Paul, Paul, just focus on like attack and defence and winning, and leave the ping-pong bats at home, mate. Yeah, can you imagine, like, they've come off this horrible season, like almost a a club-destroying season, to the point where they're paying a second coach to be their coach. (laughs) (laughs) Paul McGregor comes in and he says, I've got a game-changer, boys. And he pulls out a fucking green paddle (laughs) and a red paddle. Ah. We're going to win because of these paddles. I mean, we're playing rugby league, not table tennis. No, 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 no. Hear me out, boys. Hear me out. You'll sit down going, oh, fuck, what is this shit? You know, I was, and I've said this, like the, NR, the NBA uses a coach's challenge. They've brought that in this year, and it's horrible. It's bloody horrible. It's really, really bad. And it just, the momentum stops. And we all stand around and, like, literally everyone just stands around while we're trying to work out what's happened. And the same thing's going to happen in the NRL. I I really honestly believe that this is maybe a roundabout way to extend game time in, 
like it's it's almost trying to trick out extra game time by saying, well, we're going to have this captain's challenge, you know, and if they bring in the captain's challenge and it's even used once a game, they'll be able to get, you know, hundreds of extra hours of game time out of it and maybe they can use that for the broadcasters. I don't know, but it's, I can't see any reason why we need it. We don't. And as I wrote during the week, um, one of the things that I really, really hate about this Mm -hmm. um, is the fact that it says to kids who watch the game that you can question the referee and, Mm. and um, they have to listen to you and maybe even change their decision. And I, I really, really hate that because it means that the referee essentially has no authority anymore. Yeah, and I don't see how that works as a concept in a fast-moving game like rugby league that you have a referee out there who has no authority. Yeah, and it's like the referee's call is final unless you decide it's not. Yeah, and we've seen we've seen in crickets the challenge system there Mm. is obscenely flawed. Look, it is in basketball as well. There was a game my team played today. They uh, they did a basically a coach's challenge they call it, and it 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 was just the wrong call. Still, they they looked at the video and come back with the wrong call anyway. Um, it, it's I've yet to see it work. It's not going to work in the NRL, and I expect that all of the same idiots that were calling for it will be bagging the hell out of it by round four and saying that the NRL is doing the wrong thing. But, you know, maybe it'll be, it might be another, you know, eight times a week that Graham Annesley can pull out his friggin' laser pointer, you know, and tell, tell Warriors fans why he thinks they should have lost another game. Exactly. Uh, some of the excuses I heard to say that, you know, why this is a good idea mm-hmm. is that it would take um, more pressure off the referees because a lot of people were blaming referees for their team losing games. Yeah. So now, because of the captain's challenge, that onus then goes on to the players. And my argument against that, and you know this will happen, is that some prick at the Daily Telegraph will be sitting there counting because as soon as there's a captain's challenge and it's successful, they'll go, huh, that ref was wrong, he's shit. Yeah. And at the end of the year, it'll be like, these referees have had this many challenges um, that were successful against them. So we can tell you which referee is the shittiest of them all. Yeah, they'll find out some some way to break it down. And, and it's it's funny because it's all going to be subjective anyway. Like exactly. even when they go to the replay, it's going to be subjective. So it's not going to be a black and white thing. But they will find a way to twist it to say that NRL refereeing is at its worst, you know, point ever. ever. Which it just and, is. No, it's not. The other one I saw was someone saying that um, it will get rid of complaints from people who think that the referees are rigging games. And my argument against that was anybody who genuinely believes that referees are rigging games is exactly the sort of person we should not be listening to because they are morons. Uh, Yeah, complete, utter fucking morons. It's... I hate that argument. It's, about, it just, it's just so damn stupid. So no one's found a, a, a genuine um, a genuine way to prove to me that the captain's challenge is sensible and needs to be brought in. 
I gave him a chance. I shut him down every time. But, you know, that's what opinion writers do. And furthermore, I didn't block a single one of them because I've got a spine unlike Buzz. Yeah. I've attacked a few journos today. <laughs> yeah, you're fired up. This is fantastic. Very fiery. Now, something else that's fired me up was an article you found that was talking about the best rookies ever. Yeah, the best rug, top 10 rugby league rookies of all time. Now, they listed them in chronological order. Now, this was from the NRL website, nrl.com. It's an article by Troy Whitaker. Mm-hmm. Um, he's Well-known historian. I've never heard of him. Is <laughs> he really? <laughs> he's, uh, he's an nrl.com uh, comms person. So... He, he, the people that he has on his list, and we looked at this a little bit before, and we come up with some players that we felt were probably missing from the list. Um, well, I, was, know of, I know of three that were definitely missing from the list. Yeah, and it, it was interesting because it, it was a cool conversation. We love talking about rugby league history here. So um, the first player is one you're very familiar with, Bobby Lullum. Now, it said that uh, he registered a club record 28 tries in his maiden campaign with Balmain while also representing New South Wales. Uh, He said the winger scored five tries in one match with four in another and lined up against Canterbury in a grand final defeat. Yeah. um, Probably got a lot of that information from me. Uh, (laughs) I I don't argue with Bobby Lullum. I think that's a a fair one. I'll accept that one. Okay, now his second one he had was Reg Gasnier in 1959. Um, in his debut season for St. George, he had New South Wales and Australian caps. Uh, he's a phenomenal try scorer. Puff the Magic Dragon, which I wish we could call somebody that, this, you know, in this day and age, that'd be fantastic. McGregor. So, <laughs> do you know when I go to say something in a self-censor? There's yeah. a self-censor right in there. I knew that was. I'm going to do. I think you know who I was thinking of, and it was another coach. He doesn't coach anymore. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he scored a quartet in his fifth premiership match and bagged a hat trick in his second test. He notched 13 tries for the Dragons, though injury kept him from playing in their grand final win over Manly. Do you know what else he achieved in that first year? That's not mentioned there. Yeah. Didn't lose a single game. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know that. St. George were the last team to go through an entire season undefeated, and that was in 1959. Oh, there you go. Uh, the next one he had on the list, and this one stood out for me because I guess what you define as a first-grade player or a rookie, it comes into play with this one. So he listed Mick Cronin in 1977. So he mm. said, haven't debuted for Australia in 1973, while playing for Gerringong on the New South Wales South Coast, Cronin lived up to all expectations when he finally arrived in the New South Wales Rugby League Premiership with Parramatta. The goal-kicking centre scored a season-high 225 points and won the Rothmans medal for Player of the Year as the Eels reached the grand final, going down to St George in a replay after drawing their first decider. In my mind... He is the furthest thing from a rookie that you can possibly get. <laughs> played test football three years before he played club footy in Sydney. That's yeah. not a rookie, I'm sorry. No, no. Like, like I can get the whole... I can even make a little allowance for somebody playing 
a season one year and then the next year is their first full season. But I can't do it when he's played fucking test football. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, he's next. Mick Cronin was great, but I don't I don't put him in this list, not at all. Yeah. I just don't he was a he was like a seasoned fucking not not so much a professional, but he was like a seasoned footballer. Yeah. You know? I mean, he's a test footballer for crying out loud. Yeah. Um, okay. so, so what I'm guessing here is mm-hmm. that there were no genuinely good rookies who had a good first year prior to Bobby Lullum, who was, what, the 40s? Yeah. Pretty right. Much. Pretty right. Much. Okay, we, we, we've still got some lists. Let's not destroy the whole list just yet. <laughs> this is why I love... Working with the rugby league historian. This is fucking great. Okay, so next one, nineteen seventy-eight. Hang on, didn't? Yeah. Okay, so the, the season after, like a twenty-five-year-old Test footballer in Micronin was a rookie, Larry Corowa. Uh, he bagged twenty-four tries in twenty-one games when he burst mm-hmm. onto the scene for Balmain. On the back of his stellar maiden season, the Black Flash was chosen for that year's Kangaroo Tour. He didn't play a Test match. Uh, yeah, I don't mind having having Coral there. He was a fantastic player. Um, I think I may need to be correct, but I think he had a few um, personal issues about being in Sydney, which may have impacted him playing international footy and stuff like that. But um, definitely an all-time great winger, no doubt about it. I tell you what, when you when you get twenty four tries in your first twenty one games. That's, uh, I mean, that stands out. Even if a player does that now, you're kind of like, oh, what's going on here? You know what I mean? Um, yeah. That's Theo, it. You want to know how good he was? Mm. He finished playing with Baumann in 1983, mm-hmm. and he came back playing for the Gold Coast Seagulls in 1991. He played two games for him and scored a try. Wow. Holy crap. That's That's incredible. Eight years he'd been out of the game. Um, he was, I think, he turned thirty-five when he came back for Gold Coast. And he just, and it was some, some issues with being away from home and stuff, was it? I, I think it was. Yeah. Um, he may have had a few personal issues with the coach. If I'm thinking of the right player, I'm pretty sure it was him. Um, yeah. Okay, so the next one on the list is an interesting one because he's a player. And I don't know why I didn't like him as a player, but I just didn't. And it's for no reason. You now some plays you just don't like. Yeah. Phil Blake, 1982. And it says, as an 18-year-old, Blake debuted for Manly off the bench in round 12 in 1982. By year's end, he was Dallium Rookie of the Year, starting halfback and a try scorer in the team's grand final loss to the Eels. Had a phenomenal first two seasons. Yeah. It, and it's uh, it's interesting because... I mean, you still will hear people talking about a young Phil Blake. Yeah. Those first two years, he was just untouchable. And then he became, uh, I don't know, he became he became quite a journeyman. And I think because he could play a lot of positions um, mm. in the 80s, it's kind of a bit ahead of your time, I guess. And so he couldn't nail down one position. So he found it hard to maintain a regular spot in a team for a long career. And he just sort of moved around from club to club looking for any opportunity you can get. Yeah, it's um, interesting how some players, their versatility hurts them 
in a way. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of a, not to the same degree, but it was kind of the same story with Greg Alexander when he first came to the scene. They didn't know whether he was a halfback or a fullback. Yeah. Um, he was a freak of a player. Yeah, people forget that about Brandy. Like, and look, it, he is, I've heard a lot of people say he's the best junior player they've ever seen. Um which is kind of incredible. And I think that if he come in now, it'd be interesting to see what if him and Blake were playing now, what position they'd end up playing. Because you'll think as just and, and they were two natural footballers, you'll think that they would probably be started off as a fullback. But Brandy ended up being such a a really great halfback. It's hard to not think of him as as almost graduating to a halfback. You know what I mean? Yeah, I sort of with Greg Alexander. I suppose to, if you know for our younger listeners who may not have seen him play, um, I'd probably put him sort of a combination between you know playing style of Darren Lockyer and Kalen Ponga. He had that yeah. X factor that Ponga has. We just watched him play and he went, you know, this kid's got something. But he had that ability to absolutely master any position he was put in like Lockyer did. Mm. Um, and he did it a similar way to Lockyer. He started fullback, moved to the halves, and just dominated the same way. So he's sort of somewhere in that sort of combination between those two players. Yeah, really, that's an amazing player he was. We were very lucky to have him at Penrith. Um, next one on the list, Paul Siren in 1996. This is another one I think you and me were both like, yeah, because he's another one where... He it was just like he came onto the scene and he was immediately just, just you know that, himself, you know, and it was hard hard not to notice him. He was so bloody big, yeah, giant. It was, he was uh, it was like him and Mark Guyer. If you brought yeah. them now, they would just be they'd be bigger than everyone still. Yeah, um, they were monsters, and it just um. They weren't like a lot of forwards at the time either who, you know, some of them were still sort of carrying a bit of a gut and that sort of thing. I mean, these were two very fit, very strong, um, raw-boned, hard-running, hard-tackling players, and they were busy. They were always there somewhere. Yeah, and emo- their mobility was, I mean, it was off the charts for the, for the size of the, the both of them. Yeah. Um, interesting, though, that uh, Sirenen was more of a mainstay in the the rep teams. But I would I would definitely say that Mark I was probably the more skillful in terms of his ball playing ability. Like I think Sirenen um Sirenen just didn't have that ball playing ability that Guile did have, but a lot of the times he ended up in teams where they were just like they almost tried to coach it out of him just to Want him to use that raw aggression, almost like um, what's the bloke that plays for Newcastle now? The prop forward, um, what's his name? David Clemmer. Yeah, you know where there was a point where he he come onto the scene, big, strong, mobile, and they almost wanted to turn him into a battering ram, yeah. and he got away from that, went up to Newcastle, got back to his more natural game, has once again amazing season, back to being a rep player. Um, I, he reminds me a bit of Guyer in that sense. Yeah, I think I think the thing that, that impacted Guyer was that he was a little 
too aggressive attitude-wise, not play-wise. Mm. I think Sirenen and Guy were similarly aggressive in play because mm. um, they're both very hard-running and hard-tackling players. But I think Guy, especially in his younger days, um, could become a bit of a loose cannon sometimes if someone rubbed him the wrong way. And typically a lot of the older players who couldn't compete with him physically would rile him up so he'd lose his cool and get sin-binned or sent off or something like that. And um, Surinam was a lot better at controlling his emotions. Yeah, definitely. I think that was probably the reason why he got picked in in rep teams a bit more frequently. Plus, he was a bloody consistent player for a long time too. Absolutely amazing. I also think that the thing with Guy, with the aggression thing, because um, he's from Mount Druitt, you know, and that's where I grew up, it, it's like... It, you know, there's plenty of, of players that probably were thinking, oh, yeah, let's go. When you say something like that to a Mark Guy from Whalen, it's not just a threat. It's like, okay, let's do it. And he, he would do it, you know. So I love, I love that about Guy. So good. Um, another player they have here. Now, this is one I, I don't agree with. They have Steve Menzies. Now, he played six games in 1993. They've got him listed for 1994. He had a great... Uh, yeah, that doesn't count. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I don't count that. Um, they've got Jared Hayne in 2006. 17 dry, tries and 16 appearances, including four tries in one match in a season where the Eels made the qualifying final. Hang on, is, with... tr- is, is try scoring and point scoring the, the metric they've used to, to decide this? <laughs> Seems to be a consistent theme. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we're waiting for Vunavalu to come up. (laughs) Well, i got to say, Jared Hayne didn't jump out at me as one that was going to be on this list. What about you? No, not at all. Okay. I feel as though Jared had to find his feet and then he kicked on. Yeah. Um, They've got Dally Cherry Evans in 2011. When Mm. I think, you know what, when I think back to it, he had a bloody solid all-round rookie year for a halfback, especially. Yeah. So it's it's kind of at first when we looked at this list, I wasn't really up on that one, but thinking back on it now, yeah, it says that he got <laughs> this is funny. Um, DCE won the Dalliem and Rugby League Player Association Rookie of the Year, and the Rugby League International Halfback of the Year gong. That that kind of has a negative impact, not a positive one on that record. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, right. Uh, and the last one they have on this list is Payne Haas from last year. Um, he played three NRL games in 2008, which once again, does that mean he's a real rookie last uh, year? Yeah. It kind of hurts it for me. Um, if you do take last year into account, I think what he did was remarkable. I think it was phenomenal, no doubt yeah, about it. Incredible for how young he was too. Now, so let's talk about who we, some of the players we started talking about. Well, I have three just mm-hmm. off the top of my head who I thought definitely should have been there. Yeah. And the first one is Frank Burge, an immortal. Yeah. He made his debut in 1911 at the age of 16. Mm-hmm. Played 15 games, scored seven tries. Um, was so good that at the end of the year, he was put forward as one of the players who should go on the 1911-12 Kangaroo Tour. Mm-hmm. And 
the rugby league, you know, rugby league controlling body initially or eventually decided that he's too young. We can't have a 16 or 17 year old kid going over to England on a boat. Yeah. And that is the only reason why he didn't go on that tour. Not because he wasn't good enough, because he was too young. Um, how he's not mentioned there at all staggers me. The next one, um, from the same sort of era as Mick Cronin and the like, is Jeff Starling. Mm-hmm. Uh, made his debut in 1971 with Balmain. Must have been 18 to going on 19 at the time. Mm-hmm. Played for Australia at the age of 18 years and 181 days old in a tour game against the New Zealand B team. Um, also played for New South Wales that year. Following year, he played um, in his debut test match at the age of 19. Um, don't know how he doesn't get a mention, given that he only had a four-year career mm-hmm. and then had you know, suffered from Addison's disease, which threw him lose a lot of weight, and he had to retire as a test player at the age of 22, 23. He'd already played Test footy. Just seems odd that he's not mentioned at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last one, surprisingly, didn't get a mention, is um, this bloke from 1908 called Dally Messenger. I've heard he was pretty good, eh? He's pretty handy. Yeah. Um, put him on your list. I'm sure you'd know his name. <laughs> you, yeah. You would feel like he would have to be on the list, eh? Like he would <laughs> has to be. Oh my god! He has to be. Like I'm... you're listing his name in the medals that they're giving out. <laughs> I've, um, I've named two immortals for crying out loud. <laughs> well, that's the first place you look at. Let's look at the immortals and go from there. What about just one that come to my mind then? And I don't know if you could. You would be able to call him an immortal, not an immortal, a uh, a rookie, I guess. Chris McKivitt. Yeah, I guess that's another good one. Um, because he come into the league, he was a Wallabies player. He come into rugby league and was just like a marquee player immediately. Yeah, I mean, he was the. I'm pretty sure he was a Wallabies captain when he came across. Yeah. Um, it, he might have been thirty when he made his he, debut. And he was, uh, it's funny, there's sometimes players that come along that they're just, they've got the, they've got, they're just leaders and they've got the command of the room and he just seems like he was one of those those people. Uh, Ken Arthurson was another one that seems like he was like that, you know. Um, they just, you, you, they were just leaders of the game even back when in the playing days. Yeah. Um, another one that I I tossed up to you, which I kind of was shocked he wasn't there, was Israel Folau. Who, yeah, that's a good that was a good one. Yeah, his his rookie year, I mean he was he was what he is now in his rookie year. It, it was just a finished product. He was scoring ridiculous tries. He at the time become uh, the youngest kangaroo player which is now been surpassed. Uh, in the history of the game. And, yeah, I couldn't believe he was on the list. Uh, and the other one that I thought was a bit strange, and it's from last year, was David Fafida, who, for the Broncos, I, I would suggest that he had a better 
overall season than Haas did, which is saying something because I think what Haas did last year was of historic significance for a 19-year-old. But Fafita was 18, and what he did was of historic significance as well. Um, so they were three that, that jumped out at me pretty quickly when we were talking about it earlier. You did mention one more, which I was uncertain of his career before coming to Sydney. Mm-hmm. After having a look, deserves to be there, and that was Clive Churchill as well. Well, yeah, because because and Clive Churchill was another one of those people that, like, when he entered the Sydney competition, he was Clive Churchill. Like it, it didn't, he didn't need to warm up, and he immediately was he was the little master from day one. Yeah. Um, but then you were talking about how he played in Newcastle. So what have you seen? Well, he like, only played one one genuine, I dare say, season in Newcastle, but that was when he was 19, and he played for country seconds that year and then got picked up by South the following year. So his first season for South was as a 20-year-old in 1947, and he was playing test football the following year. And he went on to play... Um, he went on to play 99 straight rep games. So that was New South Wales and Australia. Um, yeah, see, I, like if... Just phenomenal. Unlike Mick Cronin. So say, say Clive Churchill had played three seasons, even as a very young player in Newcastle. I would not consider him to be a rookie. That sort of progression from the Newcastle comp one year to South Sydney the next. And the funny thing was... Like, isn't the story something along the lines of he kind of had to be coaxed to go onto the train and he come down, tried out for South, and he thought that he wasn't going to make it and uh, went back home and then South called him up for for his, his footy career. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, I think people don't fully understand the the greatness of him. I consider him the best player of all time. Yes, uh, I looked up. One of my favourite stories about him was, I think it was in 1955, mm-hmm. not too sure. It was in that period, though, anyway, where South were dominating everyone. And they started the year poorly. Mm-hmm. And I think with just after the halfway point of the season, they were sitting in last place. Mm-hmm. And they needed to win every single game from there on in just to reach fourth place, which was enough to get into the finals. Mm-hmm. And in the second last game of the of the regular season, he broke his arm in the game. And he wasn't a regular goal kicker either. He only kicked, oh, God, a handful of goals in his career, 70, 75, something like that, goals in his career in, in, for South. So he was, he was a backup goal kicker at best. Um, South scored a try against Manly and that locked the to- locked the game up. South couldn't afford to have a draw. They needed to have a win to reach the finals. So he took the shot at goal from the sideline with his arm in a made-up sling, made up out of a, the cover of an exercise book and a pair of rulers and some sticky tape. That's what they, that was the splint they put around his arm to keep it in place. And he landed the goal, and he missed the rest of the finals, and South still managed to go through, reach the finals, and win the grand final. And, like, uh-huh. he he went on, like, as a player, the... The way that the great players of that time speak about him is like they're talking about a myth 
you know, they're like they witnessed something happen and it was what Clive Churchill was doing. And he did it at every single level he played at. And then he went on as a coach and did did it again. And then as an administrator, he was incredible. And I, I really do. I think that the greatness of Clive Churchill is unfortunately lost on a lot of people and it's i think a lot of it is because there's so much of it to take in that it's hard to take it all in yeah um you hear a lot of people compare him to the likes of billy slater and and things like that thing is in the time when churchill came along into the game fullbacks weren't playmakers they caught the ball and then they ran it back and got tackled that was pretty much all they did they weren't try scorers they weren't very rarely were they goal kickers. They weren't involved in attacking play at all like you see today. Mm. And he broke that mould. And when I say broke the mould, he completely shattered that mould to the point where everyone needed to find their own Clive Churchill to get that extra playmaker in the side. Yeah, and I mean, I think of a, a natural progression from him was, and I guess... And I might be wrong on this, but I feel like the next in line from him was kind of a a Langlands, yep. who who had that that same sort of all round game. Um, the thing about Churchill that's amazing, and he wasn't a big dude, but you read about some of the things he did in Test matches and in Premiership finals and things like that, and you hear about like he was incredible with the ball in his hands. He was an incredible passing game. He changed the game with a tackle, you know. He just, it must have been absolutely incredible um, seeing him play. I remember asking my grandfather about um, seeing Clive Churchill play. And you've got to remember, this is a a different era. I mean, the footy games weren't on TV and things like that. But he was like, he was was just better than everyone else. It was just flat out easy. Um, And yeah, I, I... I basically judge him on the things I've read about him because that's all he can really do and what his peers at the time have said about him. And I've never heard another sportsman spoken in the same reverence from his peers on like from all over the world. I mean, even the, the English and the great Britain players, they were like in awe of the stuff he was doing. So, yeah. Well, I mean, in, was it 1948, 49, when he went on the tour with the Kangaroos in just his second season in Sydney? Mm. Um, Workington Town apparently offered him a £10,000 per year contract. Mm. That's a fair whack in 48. Yeah, um, yeah. And the ARL, well, New South Wales Rugby League at the time, imposed a international poaching ban to stop him from leaving the game because he was that valuable to them after just one and a half seasons. Yeah, and I mean, you wonder, like, there's part of it, like, you think of the great eras in rugby league history and you've got, like, the, you know, the early eras, like the, the pre-war, pre-World War Two and all that, or even the birth of the game era. And, and you think of... You know, the great run by St. George. The Clive Churchill era is an era in itself because yeah. everything that was big that was happening, like you either he was either winning it or you had to beat him to win it. And and he was just his own era. It was absolutely incredible. So yeah. anyway, I thought that he would have been on the list. 
the 50s was a phenomenal time. I mean, not only did you have Churchill, but you also had the emergence of all of those great Dragons players as well, you know, in the middle of that, in the middle of 50s and to the end of that. Mm. And then you also had some absolutely phenomenal British rugby league teams, not just at the international test side, but even club teams. Mm. And then you had the possibly the the best team in the world internationally at the time, France, with Puigor Burr playing for them and a lot of other great players around at the same time, um, Jackie Merkey and the like. They just so many phenomenal players around the world. It was a genuine golden era for rugby league worldwide. So, yeah, 50s was definitely... And to be classed as the best player of all time in that period, that that speaks volumes to the man. It really does. Yeah, it does. And it's... I mean, you, you think of the, the stacked eras like that in rugby league history, and there's been... I mean, we're very lucky as a sport that we've always had talent. There's very rarely times in the game's history where you sort of look at it and think, oh, it's a little bit of a damn period then. It always seems to be, there's always that young, you know, hungry players coming through. Um, and, and But when you see an era like that and there's this one guy that stands out, it's it's pretty phenomenal. Um, I, think of, I think of things like that with the era that the Lockyer, Fittler, uh, John's era, I think the fact that they stood out was pretty phenomenal. Um, and they they kind of crossed a, a different, especially Fittler, crossed a, diff, a couple of different eras in rugby league's history. Um, yeah. And then you get, I mean, you get the sort of thing where, it, and it's the, the New South Wales nightmare of like Thurston, Inglis, Smith, <laughs> Slater. That's just something altogether different, which yeah. I don't talk about quite honestly no oh that was that was a good bit of history chat at the end of the episode yeah yeah and that's why it like you and me both love talking about rugby league history and you're you're a historian you're a flat-out rugby league historian and um i love learning about rugby league history and it's cool to be able to talk to somebody about the things that I know about and then learn extra things on top of that. So it was an interesting article and it, it, it promoted discussion between us. So we wanted to bring that one up. Absolutely. It'll have us to also hang a bit of crap on another journo's writing. <laughs> jeez. <laughs> but we're not trying to be cliche, but geez, we keep doing the same thing every time. Just burning all the bridges. It's yeah. fantastic. Burn all the bridges. You don't need bridges. Now we've got a bunch of, emails to read out should we do them now or should we hold them over for the next step oh doesn't worry me we bang them on now if you want okay now you've got them open we don't want to have to shut it down then wait again next time and have to do meaningless talk while you get the email thing booted up like i'm doing now (laughs) that's very very true (laughs) i already had it open by the way it's the one time i had it open i'm here i am wasting time (laughs) So this first one, this was sent last Tuesday. We're very sorry we're behind on the emails, but anyway, uh, this was it's sent my by fault. Ian. Yeah, it's, it's definitely Andrew's fault. It has nothing to do with me. Um, yeah. Okay, the first one's from Andy. It says, guys, love the podcast, but a couple of corrections on the most recent episode. It says, number one, Matt Lodge was at least 
Matt Lodge at least apologised and expressed regret and sat out two seasons for an incident he was Thank not correctly found guilty of. He was only found guilty in a civil suit and to pay out rather than jail time. I admit what he has alleged to have done was pretty terrible. Falao, on the other hand, sat out half a year of rugby for something he has not apologised or expressed regret for doing not taking down the Instagram post, he has only expressed regret to people who are hurt by it. That said, I do think the overall reaction has been a bit over the top. Um, don't agree. Um, yeah, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. I think I, Matt. I don't Lodge... think there's anything wrong mm. with someone sharing their religious belief anywhere. I'm not going to. I'm not going to sit there and say that no, someone isn't allowed to share that opinion. You know, that opinion if they don't want to. At the same time, I'm not saying I agree with it. I completely disagree with everything that he's, his religion stands for, if it's along those lines. Um, so I just don't see that there's any reason why everybody should get so offended by something that's been in a religious text that's been around for how many thousands of years? Why are we getting offended now over it? We all know what's in there. I just don't, I just don't get... Why people are so upset about it now? See, the way I would look at this first point is really simple. Would I rather have a 120 kilogram person beat the fuck out of me and then apologize and express regret? Or would I rather them say I was going to hell and not apologize and express regret? And I'd rather mm. them say I was going to hell. Yeah. Okay. Because, I mean, let, let's be honest. Hell yeah. only exists to people who believe in it. Yeah, and I've been to Tim Worth. It exists. Uh, number two. <laughs> I'm glad we moved on quickly there. He says, Gold Coast Airport has a border running through the site. The terminal is in Queensland. The runway straddles the border. Now, that's really interesting. I didn't know that. So that's an interesting one. I'm glad he told us that. Um. <laughs> He said the Rugby League died this point three. He had four for us. He said, number three, the Rugby League Digest is another podcast that has been running over the off-season, which is pretty much only history content because we were talking about... Um, oh, yes, the, that's that's yeah. true. Um, and these is a phenomenal podcast. If you want to hear history stuff all the time, check out their podcast, um, except for the episode where I'm on there because I sound like a gibbering dickhead. Um, but yeah, <laughs> they're fantastic. Um, and... It's a, yeah, they've got a bloke on there who's a, a rugby league historian and librarian. So yeah. You know, you know, it's good. Um, yeah. I, I'll speak highly of that podcast all the time. We, we, we're, we're good at talking up other podcasts here. Yeah, we are. I'll tell you one thing about these rugby league historians, people. They all have library cards, hey? Yeah, I've got a few here, actually. Yeah, there you go. I've, I've actually, just on the shelf above my computer here, I've got yeah. a hutch thing. And it's just, it houses all of my library cards. I've got one for the Hume Library here, one for the National Library of Australia, one for the New South Wales State Library, one for the Victorian State Library, one for the Queensland State Library. There you I'm, go. I'm pretty sure it's pronounced library, by the way. I'm just It's letting... pronounced however the hell I want to pronounce it. <laughs> <laughs> library. Okay. Point number four. <laughs> <laughs> We're fucking idiots sometimes, Andrew. We really are. Okay, point number four. 
not not all Queenslanders are against daylight saving. It's a big issue with the vast bulk of the southeast corner wanting it and the majority of the rest of the state not wanting it. It's a good way to start an argument. Yeah, but the, I mean, a good way to start an argument in Queensland is to say things are really good in the year 2000. I find a really good way to uh, to start an argument in Queensland is you just say, man, that's not how you string a banjo. And it's just fucking on from there. Um, he says, other than that, in regards to ongoing exp- expansion discussion, I'd add two teams. He'd add Perth and Brisbane for the second team um, for the next TV contract. And then he'd add further teams as Sydney teams fall over or want to relocate. He said, I always thought Volandis would not be the right answer to replace Beattie, and every time he opens his mouth, that is confirmed. Beattie wasn't great, but he's looking less a disaster the more Volandis talks. Maybe the need to go old school and try and get John Quayle back as chairman. Toddy as CEO doesn't really bother me. He's pretty harmless. I don't know that John Quayle can be chairman because of the rules of the commission. Mm, so, which otherwise I think he would have been the chairman. Quite possibly, uh, although he is, I think he's in his 80s now. Yeah, he'd be getting on. I I feel like the last I heard he was involved with the Newcastle Knights in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's up in Newcastle doing a bit of work up there. Um, yeah. Brilliant rugby league mind. Um, and he's, he's not a, um, he's not big, you're not big and keen on the media. So I've, I've always had a, a bit of a liking for John Quayle for that reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, some more that he's written here. He said, refereeing, the more things change, the more they say the, stay the same. The Rugby League Digest history episodes have players asking for video replay and two refs as far back as the 70s and 80s. Yes, Gus they do. Wanted, yep. Gus wanted it before it came in and mm-hmm. now rails against it. The irony was that it was Penrith that was eliminated, eliminated by a try in the nines, was priceless. Gus wasn't involved with the, the Panthers at that point, though. Um, no. Can't wait for his first whinge, and I'm replying with the screenshot of that try on Twitter. The refereeing is not why teams lose. Teams lose because they make far more mistakes than the refs do. Exactly. That's- yeah, yeah. The refs need to consistently review and improve where they can, but the but overall they do a great job. If I was refs boss, I'd show the highlights package of five to ten mistakes by any team affected by a bad refs call. Um, for instance, a missed strip. Uh, I'd show five handling errors or missed tackles that that team did before showing the refs error. He said, sorry for the novel, but thought I'd get that off my chest. Love the podcast. Keep up the podcast. And finally, Barnes played with Cole Chisel in the 2015 Grand Final. <laughs> Would be great to see him at the 2020 Grand Final doing simply the best. Regards, Andy. You know what? I think, remember at the end of last year, the NRL was teasing that they were going to bring back Tina Turner and all that. Mm-hmm. You know yep. what? I'm pretty sure they've settled on his having an NRL player play his guitar and sing it, eh? Uh, is it Eric Gross? No. <laughs> no, it's... Uh, oh, what's his name? Play Al Finnegan? Yes. That's oh. it. <laughs> That's... 
It's not saving money, Andrew. It's going to be great. I could play drums. That might save me a few extra bob. Oh, we could get uh, some Queenslands to play the banjo. You need banjos. Yep, we could get uh, some people from Tamworth on the pipes. And what else could we have? I don't know. We'll just say, leave it there, right? Um, yeah. So <laughs> our next one, next email is from Liam, Storm fan, 79. He says, thought I'd flick you an email and give you some dead air filter. How fucking dare you? We don't have dead air. Dead air? What's? Silly, man. Yeah. That's just okay. wrong. Yeah. I know, right? So he says, scrolling through Twitter, and I see Phil Gould tweeting about Married at First Sight and shit Telstra Wi-Fi. What the actual fuck, Phil? No one cares what you think about League. Why the fuck would we care what shit you watch and how crap the net is? It's called life, son. Even wealthy people have to join it occasionally. Now I know no one actually cares what I think, but too bad. Keep up the good bant, boys. Your pal, Mofo. Oh, I'd like to say I saw that, but Mm. Phil got a bit sensitive after I pointed out a bit of his hypocrisy a year or so ago, and then he blocked me. Um, So I, I don't get to see that, so... I, I missed out on that that um, touching moment on Twitter. So, well, see, there's two things here. Sometimes, sometimes I tweet about married at first sight. I just can't help myself. All right. The yeah. second thing is I, I don't follow Phil Gould because when he did the, you know, when he how he starts up his thing and gets rid of it and starts it up and it gets rid mm-hmm. of it. I just feel like that's some chicks do, and I'm just not interested in playing that game. So I just don't follow him. Uh, I think someone pointed out to to him, or not pointed out. Someone someone criticised Lewis Brown, I believe it was. Yeah, and they're just sort of saying, oh, you know, he was a bit of a an average sort of a player or something like that. And yeah. uh, Phil Gould replied with some of his stats and you know his length of his career and his achievements stuff like that, which is all fine stuff like that. Yeah, but then he had the throwaway line of pretty much saying, um, you know, how many NRL games have you played? Yeah. And I thought, I had to reply. So I just said, don't you think it's a bit odd to be criticising someone who's, you know, had a bit of a criticism of a player? Mm. And your your line of argument is, well, you can't criticise them because you've never played the game yet. You yourself will sit there and criticise NRL referees every single week you're commentating on football games. How many games have you refereed, Phil? And he blocked me. Yeah. I wasn't trying to be rude or anything like that or trying to get blocked, but I thought... You can't <laughs> you can't condemn one person for criticizing a player mm. and using an argument that you completely defy yourself when it comes to referees. Do you remember when he had pretty sure he had some words about and I, I hope I get this right, I I feel like Peter Sterling uh criticized Brad Fittler. And then Phil Gould turned around and said, Well, Peter Sterling was not the player that Everyone says he was. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's the way it went. I, I missed all that. That's um, feel that's like, a meltdown. Yeah, it's weird when it's weird. But you know why all of it's weird? Because 
they've all already won. That's yeah, what true. makes it weird. Like, Fugold's a multi-millionaire out of rugby league. He's won. He's already yeah. won. Like, just take the win, you know? But yeah, what can you do? He still gets upset. Yeah. Poor, um, poor, poor old man. Yeah. Well, at least he's going to go into uh, fucking be a player agent now, which is going to be really interesting. I'm looking forward to it, actually. I was actually, I was actually talking to, ah oh, man, I think I was talking to Julie about this, that he might, he, he might actually be a really, really good player agent because of his background. Like, how many player agents have we seen that have had a background in rugby league administration? Yeah, that's true. I don't think he'd be too bad. The problem I'd have with him being a player agent is mm. it would be in the media a lot. Yeah. Like he'd be selling, like he's trying to sell a, a shitty old Datsun as though it's a Mercedes SL. Yeah, and that's... Look, you're Channel that, 9 every week. Yeah, like he's watching this play, comes on, he's playing like seven minutes going, oh man, that hit up had so much power and he's available, call me. <laughs> he's available, call me. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> look, to be fair... That's exactly a player agent's job. It's their job is to talk their client up like they are a superstar, no matter but, who but they not are. As a commentator, though, yeah, that's, that's, the that's the thing. Like, you know, is he going to start flogging bloody, you know, fringe fringe first graders to the to Ricky Stewart to sign up to massive deals and stuff like that? I don't know. I'll probably just get an open Cleary. Shut the fuck up. He knows okay. Ivan will pay for him. No. you reckon he's going to give anything to Penrith at this point? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Um, it's funny. I, I saw it actually in news earlier. They're saying that Harry Grant has asked for a release from the Melbourne Storm. Mm. And he wants to move to the West Tigers because he's been training with the West Tigers all year. And he sees there's an, obviously there's an opening there for him to play first grade this year. And I saw that story come up from from Fox Sports, I think it was, and I sub a quote tweeted and said on there, "Congratulations, Penrith." People were saying, "What are you on about?" And I'm going, "There's no way the Tigers are going to get their man. What are you on about?" <laughs> I thought, I, I thought my jokes are pretty obvious about West Tigers not getting their man, but there you go. I thought sometimes, I'd better explain that one. I don't know. Sometimes I've I've told jokes on Twitter, and then someone will send me the punchline, and it's like, "Yeah, that's that's the joke." Yes, <laughs> that's the joke. I get it. Um, yeah. It's interesting that he's been training with the West Tigers. I feel like that's a tactical mistake by the Storm, hey? Yeah. Well, the tactical mistake was signing on Cameron Smith for another year while still having Brandon Smith there. But they had to do that. Well, I didn't need to keep Cameron Smith. You can't push him out the door, though. No, but you just didn't need to give him another contract saying, yeah, sorry, Cameron, we've only got 30 bucks a week. If you're happy with that, then we'll sign you up. But, you know, other than that, you know, things are a bit tough. Can't fit you in, you know. You, do you think you... Cameron Smith's on this year, though? Hey? How much do you reckon Cameron Smith's on this year? Oh, he, would have, he would have signed for a fair bit because I'm pretty sure the, the Storm get a loyalty discount for him to offset it. I don't yeah. know how much a loyalty discount is, but they'd sign him for a fair whack now and they get a bit a bit back on it. Plus, it'd be the third-party deals. You'd be on TV and uh, the AFL footy show and shit like that all the way down here, just like Billy Slater was before. Yeah. 
See, I, you know what? I feel as though a player like Cameron Smith, who's been at the Storm that long, if he didn't count on their salary cap at all, I'd have no problems with today. Yeah, I've got no problem with that. I think the the loyalty discounts should be a little bit more generous than what they are. I think when you get to that extreme end, like a Cameron Smith, like, I mean, how long's he played now? Uh, this will be his 19th season, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, it's like, say you play over 15 seasons for one club and yeah. just one club, man, you shouldn't count on a team salary cap. Knowing that Paul Gallon did that, you'd be happy for him to yep. include on the cap? 100%. Because I think that when you get to that point, it shouldn't be about weighing up. Um, it shouldn't be about weighing up exactly what you're talking about. Where you've got a player that's, I mean, Cameron Smith. I, I still think he's the best hooker in the game. Um, if he's not the best, he's one or two. I, I just think that it shouldn't be about weighing up, getting rid of him versus looking ahead. I think that financially you should be able to pay him whatever you want and have him in your side. If you choose to get rid of him for football reasons, that's fine, but it shouldn't be a financial reason. That almost sounds like an idea that the British would bring in place in the Super League. Well, they just use a different set of books. <laughs> <laughs> Allegedly. That's true, too. Um, yeah. One last thing I was going to chuck in here, man, this podcast is going on, but why the hell not? email to do, by the way, too. Awesome. Um, Toronto still hasn't won a game yet in the Super League. Yeah, I was thinking maybe we could do... I think we could do a, a an episode about Toronto because I, I think that they've made some mistakes in their football department, and I think their mistakes are coming out in the field. And I think some of the mistakes that that they they had made with the people that they've signed... I, I, I don't like their coach. I think their coach has been proven to be outmatched unless he has the highest-paid roster in the league. And I, I just think that they've been shown up, and I think that it wasn't shown when they were spending so much more on their own players and everyone else in the lower grades. But now that they've hit the big time, I think it's been shown up now that they've been poorly constructed. Um, we're also seeing the the wide gap between championship and Super League. And yes. It's, it's a big gap. Because, what, Toronto, I think they only lost... Did they lose their only game in their entire existence last year? It was the first time they have lost a game in two years or three years or something. I don't know and only game, but it's like... They've come into this comp and... Yeah. Yeah, I think coaching is a big issue because their, their attack and defence just looks so much slower. And that's the thing with, with the Super League is the skill level is not the same as the NRL, but it is played at a slightly faster pace. Because the, the tackles don't stick as much, so they get off loads away. There's a lot more second-phase play. The game moves a little bit quicker because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and Toronto look like they're sort of stuck in second gear a lot of the times. Their defence is very slow to move. They're very poor laterally, and their attack looks very basic. Very basic. Like lots of one-outs, um, kicking early. It's and look, pedestrian look, at times. McDermott as a coach, 
I, I have never rated him. And he was the coach at the, at London, um, and they were terrible. Yeah. And it's, by some miracle, he ended up being the coach at Leeds and won premierships at Leeds. And people were talking about how great a coach he was, and I just never bought it. And I was saying it at the time when he was winning. I was like, man, it's they're the best te- – like anyone could coach these teams. And I think that's been proven in Super League so many times that you can just be in the right place at the right time and look like the greatest coach in the world in Super League. Um, it's very rare that you see someone do an actual coaching job in Super League. I think that we saw Nathan Brown do it, mm. and, and it wasn't so much when he was at uh, St. Helens. I mean, when he was at Huddersfield, he was yeah. coaching the hell out of Huddersfield. He did he, some He was phenomenal for that for that team. It's, it's I'm, I'm surprised they let him go because he did such phenomenal work there with a, a roster that really shouldn't have been doing as well as it was. Yeah. Um, unbelievable stuff. But anyway, you said we had another email. Oh, yes. Uh, FC Monkey got in touch with us again, and he said, Hi, guys. Love the podcast. Don't know if you know the story. Victoria Cross awarded to Hull FC player Jack, and he calls him John Harrison. It's a remarkable story. He's uh, given us a Wikipedia link, uh, and he, say, he said he was in the same team as Jimmy Devereaux. He said, Keep up the good work. Cheers, FC Monkey. So we'll add that link, that uh, Wikipedia link, to the um, to the podcast information for this podcast if people want to look it up. I haven't had a chance to look at the link yet, so I, I haven't looked at it. Um, but you were saying you know the story, a little bit of the story about Yeah, he, he got a VC. He also got a – what's the next one down from that? MC? Distinguished, distinguished Conduct. Okay. Um, and both times it was for going up to, I, I believe – I've got to read the story again – Going up to no man's land, yeah. taking out gunners and stuff like that. This, when he got the VC, he actually died taking out a machine gunner and saved his platoon. Wow. Uh, unbelievable stuff. Um, Jimmy Devereaux, who he mentioned, was an Australian player. Mm-hmm. Um, he went on the 1908-09 kangaroo tour. And yeah. some of his teammates that went on that tour said that he was a better centre than Daly Messenger. Ah, yeah, you've told me about this, which is really interesting. Now, he had a rather unfortunate end to his life. He was helping with the construction on the Sydney Harbour Bridge when a truck full of steel girders and stuff like that or iron girders fell over and crushed uh, the side of his leg. Mm. And he was stuck in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. And yeah. so he couldn't work anymore. I think he, was in his, he might have been in his mid to late 30s, maybe early 40s when that happened. Oh, jeez. Um, went over to England and I believe he went – he was – yeah, he's confirmed as missing at sea, which from what I'd heard from a few other cases meant that he may have gone out and committed suicide and just drowned himself in the ocean or something like that in England. Um, but, yeah, phenomenal player for North Sydney um, and Australia and played for Hull FC over in, in England for many years. Did this thing where he went back and forth from Australia to England several times during either side of World War One. It's interesting um, that there's some players that do that, hey? Yeah. Um, he did it more than anyone else. I'm pretty yeah. sure it was, might have been four or five times he went back and forth. Wow. And that was by ship, so that took about eight weeks, I think it was, one way. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, phenomenal story. Um, yeah. Definitely check out both those bloke stories. Um, the Jimmy yeah. Devereaux one. Jimmy Devereaux one. 
you can actually read the bio I've written about him if you go to my Patreon page and make a donation. Ooh, I like that. We'll put that, you know, can we put that link? Are we able to put a link to that or? Yeah. Okay, cool. We'll do that then. We'll do that. See if it works. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and give uh, Andrew something hard-earned so that he can keep working hard and putting together rugby league's history, both statistically and uh, in written form. I've, yeah. I've heard that uh, there's a little something happening there. Oh, there's a lot of little things happening there. Oh, shit. We'll, we'll chat about that afterwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's all right. We'll keep, we always keep the good stuff for ourselves. That's right. I'll share it one day, but not now. Tell you what, Mitchell Moses biography. Whoa! Yeah, it's been in the works for a while. Um, it's basically oh. just a retelling of the uh, the the Old Testament, but with rugby league references in there. Can you imagine that? That'd be great. <laughs> I did write an article ages ago, and it was about the uh, it was Genesis. Yeah, and I rewrote the. The, the story of Genesis, but it was about the Cronulla Sharks and Paul Gallen. Oh, jeez. <laughs> you know, that reminds me, I was, for some reason, this came up on my website just randomly. I wrote an article pretending that I had attended a conference with all the movers and shakers in rugby league and the media where we were going to basically rig the entire season. And, and talk about how we were going to rig it. And it was just such an obvious piss take. And I fucking had people that would message me and say, See, I knew it. And I was like, <laughs> oh, I love that. I really do. Alrighty, people. Well, I mean, that's been a, that's been a thorough episode. Yeah. Yeah, that's been a good one. I can't wait to see how long it's gone for because... I can't tell at this end with the way that we record it, but I'm gonna I'm gonna guess that it's yeah. an hour and eighteen minutes. You're well short. <laughs> hey, how dare you? That's what she said. <laughs> um, and on that uh, on that note, that note that we'd heard so much last year, but very little of this year. <laughs> That's what she said. Um, we'll wrap this one up, eh? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's uh, let's go and smoke some cigars. As you do. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Catch you next time.